Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you um, and he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church and we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. Hey, hey, good morning church. Uh, I'm Adam, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad that you're hanging out with us today. How was your weekend? Uh, Yesterday my family and I, we went to, uh, uh, me, my wife Laura and our two boys, we went to Missouri. and uh, in uh, Lesterville, Missouri, we stopped in Jackson on the way back. It was Laura's grandpa's 90th birthday. And uh, yeah, we can celebrate that. Uh, now, I know you don't know him, and he won't see this, and, and, and that's not why I'm telling you, but I was talking to him, and he's a deacon at his church, and uh, he's, he teaches a Sunday school class, and he told me he prepares about five to eight hours every week, and it's the best part of his week for uh, teaching. I thought, man, that's such a cool cool praise and picture of perseverance. What a great benefit, man. So um, in life, you know, it seems like everyone, all of us, we, we look for benefits all of the time. And uh, benefits, they can really be uh, a wonderful thing. If you've got a career, then one of the first questions you probably asked before you took the job that you now have is what are the benefits that come along with this? Does it have medical? Does it have dental? Does it have vision? Uh, do, do they have casual Friday? Do they serve free bagels and donuts and coffee in the break room? What are the benefits to this? Benefits can be a wonderful thing. But benefits aren't just exclusive to your job or your occupation, but really they're part of everything that we do, all these little decisions that we make and the big decisions we make all the time. If you're going to college, you might ask yourself, hey, what's, what's, what's the benefit of me going to this particular college? What, what, how far is it away from home? What degrees do they actually offer at this school? Uh, if you're single, you're going, hey, what's the, what's the male to female ratio at this school? What are the benefits of it? If you're married in this room, before you walk down the aisle, you might have asked yourself, what, what are the benefits uh, the pers- of this, pers- this prospect that's, you know, standing in, in front of me? Um, and so you outweigh the potential positives against the potential negatives, right? And you ask, you know, if you're a guy, you say, hey, is this a lady that loves the Lord? Is this someone, is she going to be a good mom? Is she going to be a good wife? If you're a lady, you're asking, hey, is this person going to be a good father? Are they going to be a good husband? Um, guys, you might ask, you know, or ladies, you might ask, is this somebody, you know, who's just going to spend all of our money? Is, uh, you know, you might even ask, is her, is her mother crazy, right? And, <laughs> and, and I can say that because my mother-in-law is not crazy, okay, church? Uh, but you want to know, what are the benefits 
of, 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 this, of this thing. And, and benefits are often an under-celebrated part of life. And this might sound somewhat self-serving, but actually I think it's also uh, a part of wise living for us to ask, what is the, what is the benefits uh, come along with this? Because if you've ever been a recipient of benefits on any, any level whatsoever, then you know the joy and the peace and the confidence that those benefits can bring. Now in chapter 4 of the book of Romans, the very last word that the Apostle Paul says is this word, justification. Justification. Just as if I've never sinned. Good, good. And what this is, is this is God declaring his righteousness over you, but even better, him treating you in light of that declaration that he has made. And I think it's worth noting for us that in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't even really get to much of the benefits uh, to, to, to lure us in until Romans chapter 5. Instead, the first four chapters of Romans, uh, it's brought on the basis of need and not on the basis of benefit, which seems like he wants me and you to really know why. Why it is we need a Savior. And then once we see our desperate need we have for Jesus, we can begin to understand at that point all of the benefits that justification brings along with it, which is what Pastor John talked about last week, if you were here or not here. He talked about the opening benefits of justification when he opened up Romans 5, 1 through 2. And you'll remember some of these initial consequences, some of the fruit of justification. He mentioned three things. He said it was peace with God, it was standing, in grace and it was rejoicing in hope peace with God standing in grace and rejoicing in hope and the first one peace with God this is really about understanding your status shift before God because what has happened what has happened is that when you and I sinned that is us declaring war on God and so there's not peace between us and God but whenever we surrender to God that's when we get peace with God and peace with God suggests to us that previously before this there was no peace with God but now the great news is that through the gospel the war is over the war's over, and our justification serves as this sort of ceasefire coming from God to us. And so he's not just lowering the boom on us anymore. It's peace with God. Now, because of this peace with God, we, we said that we are also standing in a position of grace. Me and you, we are, if we're in Christ, we're sons and we're, we're daughters of God now. And we have this access, this VIP access that you and I just did not have before. Because before, before Jesus, the line to get, the line to get to God, it was really, really long. And we didn't meet the requirements to get into the club. But Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 hey, it's okay, it's okay. This one, he's mine, she's mine, they're with me. And so now we get this access to God that we didn't previously have before. We get to stand in this impossible place of Christ's righteousness. And we get to sit at his forever table as his kid. And this ultimately leaves us, church, rejoicing in hope. And this is some really good news. This is some really good news because once you and I understand that Jesus reigns over us and he pours his grace down into us, this changes everything. 
It means that Jesus, he's the one that initiates, he's the one that sustains, and he's the one that puts the stamp of approval and completes your and my salvation. And and what this does is it leaves us glorying in justification. We have this past, this present, and this future we see in these three things. John mentioned the fruit of our justification. We have peace with God as a result of our past justification. We are now standing in this present privilege of God's grace. And also we boast or rejoice in the hope of glory in the future that is to come for us. It's a a past, present, future privilege. And so it's been peace and it's been grace and it's been glory and it's been joy. And I don't know about you, man, but I can get on board with that kind of stuff. And it's been such a great benefits package. And it is. Until we get to the fourth affirmation of justification on Paul's list. And he says this, we also glory, we rejoice in our suffering. We rejoice in our suffering. And as we read Romans 5, 3 through 5 today, it feels like, man, it feels like somebody pulls the e-brake on these benefits from God, and you're sitting here wondering as you initially read it, at least at a surface level, you know, has Paul, has Paul, his pen slip, has, has he lost all of his marbles, is he, you know, short a few cards of a full deck, what does he, what does he mean we can, we can rejoice in our, in our suffering, where is this headed? Well, if you have your Bible today, turn with me to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to read together uh, verses 3 through 5, Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. And we'll find out together. Do you love Jesus, Rush Church? Are you ready to study his word? Romans 5, 3 through 5, this is the word of the Lord Jesus. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And in effect, what the Apostle Paul is saying here in this text is that not only do you and I have these joys, not only do we have these gifts of grace that God has given to us in our justification, but that these benefits can remain joy in our sorrow, and they can even help and cause us to find joy in our suffering. And so that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about suffering. We're talking about suffering, and we're going to look at these benefits that Paul uh, says that godly suffering can actually produce inside of the believer. These are three purposes of the pain that we're going to check out today, and it's all, it all sits under this tent of glory in sufferings, and so here are three benefits we're going to find. Number one is a patient endurance can be created from godly suffering, glory in suffering. Number two, a proven character, and then last, an insider hope. Patient endurance, proven character, and an insider hope. Patient endurance, proven character, and an insider hope. And just as a heads up on this, the first kind of part of today's sermon, it's going to be the the biggest part, the glory and suffering, and it's going to get shorter and smaller as we go on. But you know, the Apostle Paul, man, he's in a really unique sort of position to be able to talk about this 
this topic of glory and, and, and suffering because if any human being knows suffering, it's the apostles and in particularly the apostle Paul because Paul, he's faced all sorts of tribulation and persecution. He's been flogged, he's been beaten, uh, he's been in prison repeatedly. He's faced opposition from both the religious leaders and from the, the secular leaders. He spent many nights cold and thirsty and hungry and in want. He's remained anxious in many of his letters about God's church. And, and we don't know for sure, but the Apostle Paul, if he was part of the Sanhedrin and not just advancing in it, then it's likely that he knows what the, the loss of the death of a spouse means. We don't know, but if, if he was part of it, unless they gave him a special circumstance to get in, then he knows that too. Either way, regardless, Paul knows what it means to suffer on this planet right now. And he understands this unique transformative power that happens, that can happen in our suffering in the life of a believer, which is why the main concept we're going to carry kind of along with us today is this. In our suffering, trials, they refine, character is defined, and our hope can be aligned. So in our sufferings, trials refine, our character is defined, and hope can align. And so if you're here this morning and you're going through some stuff, like you're, you're, you're facing some suffering today. Paul's got a benefits package that you need to know about if you're in Christ. And, and, and what I'm doing is I'm praying for you that by the end of our conversation today that you might have a better understanding on how you can navigate your suffering and be able to rejoice in glory in it. And if you're not going through anything today, we know from the scripture that, that if it's not happening today, it's going to happen, happen someday. And so when that suffering comes to you, you need to be able to know how to, how to navigate it, how to respond to it in a godly way. And so for you, today is kind of a master class in the glory of suffering. So I will, I will pray for us and then we'll walk through this text together. Jesus, I come to you this, this morning, and uh, God, we pray for endurance. I pray for endurance, God. Holy Spirit, we pr pray that you would show up in this place. And Lord, in our world right now, man, when you, when you said we would have trouble in this world, it feels like, right now, it feels like you hit the nail on the head. Um, God, with riots and God bought AI stuff and the war that's going on in Israel right now. And we pray for our brothers and sisters there. We pray that those there would find you, Jesus, that they would be justified in you. And so, Lord, in this meantime, you know, we're, we're saying, come, Lord Jesus, but in the meantime, God, we ask that you would help us, show us what Paul's talking about today, teach us Holy Spirit, and help us to run the race that is set before us with endurance, Jesus. Lord, we submit to you, we submit to your word. We know that your word knows stuff that the world just doesn't. So we ask you to come. Come, Lord Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. So Romans chapter five, one through two, um, that we read last week was the opening of justification. And, and in this, as I said, we have peace with God. We're now standing in grace and we glory or rejoice in the hope of glory. Those were the initial benefits. And now verse three begins like this. Not only that, not only those benefits, these wonderful, amazing things, but also we also can rejoice in our 
sufferings. We can rejoice in our sufferings. And this really is the base camp of the mountain of suffering that we're talking about this morning. That, we, that phrase, we glory in our sufferings. You know, one of the most sacred honors of being a pastor is that we get a front row seat to the best days and the worst days in people's lives. And so we get to be there whenever a new baby's born. And we also get the honor of being there whenever someone's buried. We get to be there when someone's getting married. And we are there also when people divorce We're there whenever you get that long-awaited promotion at work, and we're there when you get let go during the middle of COVID. And what happens is that whenever we get an upfront seat to this season of struggle that you go through, it's painful, incredibly painful, but what we also get to see is the amazing power of God the Holy Spirit work in the life of a believer in a way that just doesn't make earthly logical sense. And so what you need to know this morning is that justification, it makes a difference. Justification makes every difference. Not only in regards to our eternal destination for where we go when we die, but what we're doing in this life right now, how we feel, how we move, how we breathe in the midst of suffering while we're alive. And it's both in the good times that we have and most, even more surprisingly, in the, the bad ones God gives us these tools that we can use to navigate them. See, whenever Paul, whenever he's talking about rejoicing, look at the text. When he's talking about rejoicing in or or glorying in our suffering, what he's not saying is that you and I, that we should, you know, throw a party uh, whenever trouble shows up because the more that we suffer, the the, the more uh, presence we're able to receive of God. Paul doesn't say that we rejoice for our sufferings. He's not saying, hey, you should just suck it up and and, and enjoy the pain. He's not a masochist. He's saying that whenever we go through these tribulations and afflictions, that that it's not a pleasurable ride, but we know since we have been justified in Christ, we can glory in suffering to a degree because we know ultimately what suffering yields. We know what suffering can produce and it can become an occasion of joy in the life of a believer. That in the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's so, so much more than just a a get out of hell free card and getting us into heaven. It benefits us right now in every season. This is the fruit of justification. This is Matthew 13's hidden uh, pearl in the field. This is the pearl of great price. And I'm not not talking about the, the false LDS pamphlets. I'm talking about kingdom ethics that can invade your life, that can invade through you this planet right now even in your suffering because God has redeemed us ultimately whatever shows up at our front door we can look at it through in our glory through suffering we can glory in suffering now Jacob I'm not I'm not sure but um, I've never heard of any first-time guests anywhere in any church, go to the First Impressions team and say, hey, 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 could you tell me where your ministry of suffering is? Have you, have you ever heard that before? Me neither, right? 
Nobody's ever heard of that. In fact, if you'll slightly turn and look to the back wall, there's a wall of small groups and serve squads. And on that wall, you will not find a ministry that's designated for suffering. We have a ministry that's designated in response to suffering. But nobody looks at that as a ministry and goes, hey, sign me up for this. You know, my, my Tuesday looks pretty good for a storm of sorrows to come. I think I can make it. Suffering, yes. No, no one does that. We try to avoid suffering as much as we can in any way humanly possible but the question we should all be asking in our suffering is what sort of attitude should a follower of Jesus adopt in suffering because we all face it what sort of attitude should you and I adopt in our suffering because anybody can rejoice after the suffering's over anybody can rejoice after the suffering is completed but for Christians, our secret joy is finding the reasons to rejoice in the middle of the suffering. And so Rest Church, what is so great is that the rest of the world has to wait for their sigh of relief after the suffering. You and I, we can relief in the suffering. And so there are two options when you're in the middle of that stuff. You know that stuff? When you're in the middle of it, there's two options for you. Number one is you can worry. You can have an attitude of worry. Or number two is you can worship. You can have an attitude of worship. You can worry about the things you can't control that are outside of your control. Or you could submit and worship to the one who is in control of all things. That's your options. And you can come to God and you say, God, I can't, I can't handle this alone. This hurts, God. I, I don't know why, but I do trust you. Because we have a direct access to him. And this is such good, good news because we have freedom in this access that he's given to us. And so our, our attitude can be one of worship instead of worry while we rejoice in the present pain. And the truth is, look, God, God is he's not always going to cause you to be pain free. But what happens as you worship him is it will cause you to be free of your pain. Because your mindset has totally shifted. And what Paul is talking about in this suffering, what, what does he even mean by that word suffering when he says it? Look at the text. What is he talking about when he says suffering? <laughs> well, just to kind of bring some lightheartedness into this sort of, you know, heavy subject. I seen this video of this Christian comedian the other day. Maybe you've seen it too, but uh, it was John Chris, and he's talking about uh, American persecution. I just wanted to show you that real quick. So, so I get that Ecclesiastes 7 says that um, sorrow is better than laughter because it has this sort of refining influence over us, which is really our main focus today. But, but sometimes, obviously depending on context and, and timing, both biblically and biologically, your mourning turned into joy, into laughter, into gladness. It's good for your body and it's also good for your soul. And so it can become a strengthening agent for you if you'll allow it to be. Proverbs uh, 15, 13 says it's a glad heart makes a happy face a broken heart crushes the spirit so sometimes uh even biblically speaking laughter it can be a great medicine in our suffering so okay so if the apostle paul if he's not talking about starbucks lines and uh lauren he's not talking about lip filler jared he's not talking about lip filler because you're going to get some right um that's not what he's talking about so what is he what is he actually what's he talking about though when he says suffering well, I believe that he's talking about any tribulation that a follower of Jesus might uh, endure in this world, on this planet. Anything in this world that has been warped by sin that affects you, which God can still order for his good and for, or for his glory. 
these are sufferings. And these sufferings, they're not just minor inconveniences that show up that Paul's mentioning. He's saying that we've got a faith that's built to withstand major, major hardships. And figuratively, the, the word, the ellipsis there that's used, it's a picture of someone that's being crushed down on every side like a hydraulic press. The hydraulic press is my part. But it's that the pressure's coming in and they're getting pushed in from, from every side. And, and, and this is something that the Apostle Paul, he was all too familiar with himself. Now, perhaps for you, you've went through some major pressures in your life, or maybe you are going through some right now, and maybe a question that you've asked when that pressure kind of hits is, what's the purpose in this pain? God, what's the reason? Why? Why me? This is one of the most asked questions when, when someone who is suffering brings to the table, and, and rightly so. This world, our world is broken and when it affects us, what happens is it intensifies the brokenness around us and we want to know why. And, and I don't, I'm not saying that I have all of the answers for suffering because I certainly don't. I'm not saying we have all of the answers for suffering because we certainly don't. There's some things that we will never understand this side of eternity. And I'm not using that just as some cop out, but that's the reality of you and I being a finite human being with limited knowledge. But here's my big problem with suffering when it comes to the church. Is that we don't teach people what to do in the suffering. We don't teach them what to do in the suffering, whenever depression hits, whenever troubles come up, whenever hardship happens, oppression is there. Everyone knows about the struggle, but not everyone knows what to do when they're in the middle of the struggle. And so I want to give you two really quick things in suffering um, that might help you navigate that purpose in your pain. Number one, so be quick, God doesn't cause all that you suffer, but God will use all that you suffer. We know that our God, that he is good in every way. And sometimes tribulation comes on us that's demonic. Sometimes it's just mysterious and we don't, we don't fully understand it. We understand it's part of the fallen world. But God can use your circumstance for good no matter what's happened. In fact, I would go on as far to say that God expects you, expects us to use our circumstance, our pain to help others. So whenever, whenever a mistake or failure or trouble or trial or bad decision, any of that stuff that you've experienced, God looks at you in your, your life, he goes, look, I'm, I'm still going to use this in your life and, and, and work it for good and, and bring it to my glory. But I also expect you to use it to help others in their lives also, pointing them to me. See, I think Part of, part of God's dream for your life is that you would help people, not just in your strengths, not just where you're adequate, but also through your pain and your suffering because ultimately this is what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. That he has helped us in his suffering. And it's so crazy to me, man, how the Holy Spirit will show up at just the right time and give you just the right words and put you in just uh, it, it put you in front of just the right person that you would speak to them through your pain that you've come through through to minister to them this is known as redemptive suffering and so we know god will use your suffering the question is will you use it too will you use it too and number 2 lean into and not away from jesus and his church 
If you're going to get a kickstand, lean into and not away from Jesus and the bride. Because what happens is the critic of Christianity might look in at suffering. And, and, he, and he might go, where's your God at now? Is, is he still good? Or, or even a believer may begin to doubt the goodness of God in their suffering. And so when adversity comes our, our way, we might attempt to fix the problem ourselves. Or, or worse yet, we might point to God as the source of the problem. And you might look at me and go, look, A.B., you got no idea. You got no clue what I'm going through. You can't even begin to understand this situation. And the truth is, a lot of times, you're exactly right. But I know a guy. I know a guy who knows. If there's anybody that's ever known suffering, if there's anybody that's ever known the feeling of I got what I didn't deserve, it's Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he God made him Jesus to become sin who knew no sin. To become sin who knew no sin. Jesus, he still has his scars and, and he glories in them because of the redemption that it's brought to his family. And he rejoices in this suffering. See, there's a desperation, church, that you will, there's a desperation you will only find in your suffering that brings you to Jesus. And, and you, you can't even explain it if you haven't been in it. But because of this, we can rejoice in the refining effects that suffering does bring. Jim Phillips says this, this means that through grace, evil has lost the initiative in the believer's life and can no longer lord it over him. On the contrary, it becomes an instrument in God's hand, furthering the purpose of your life. Suffering is not for your destruction. Suffering is not for God's amusement, but it will be used for his glory and for your good. And from Paul, this isn't just some, some confidence management tool. He's, he's not saying like, well, hey, brother, the, the hard times lead to the good times. That's not what he's, he's saying because we've all been there. We've seen hard times happen. And on the other side, it doesn't always create good times and good people. Sometimes it creates mean-spirited and bitter and, and, and broken people. It doesn't always create the good. But what Paul's getting at is he's, he's saying, show me a hard time and I'll show you an opportunity for growth in the believer. It's not that God won't give you more than you can handle because God gives us more than we can handle all the time. But he won't ever give you more than he can handle. Amen. And ultimately what this is, to, to have a success of any sort in suffering, this is the spirit of God in us. Powered by God out, outside of us that gets us through suffering. Your suffering is never a solo album. It's always a collaborative effort as you draw near to God. And then God, he draws near to you. And, and these heavenly benefits come along to keep you going. And so we might just reflect and ask ourselves on this. How are we doing whenever things go bad? Are we resting in the grace of God and experiencing the, the joy in God and continuing to love people? Or do we forget the grace of God? Are, are we responsive with complaining and, and become self-absorbed and critical instead of loving? In suffering, trials, they refine, characters define, and hope is aligned. So if suffering, if it leads to glory in the end, it also means 
that it can lead to maturity in the meantime. Suffering, it can be productive for us if we respond to it the way God has asked us to. And we know this, especially as you read the scripture, um, the experience that God's own people had in the midst of, of suffering across every generation. God doesn't always spare his people from the pain, but he does supernaturally resource them for it. And so that's why next Paul is going to talk about how this suffering affects a person that knows that they're saved, that knows that they've been justified strictly by grace, not by works, and that it operates as this sort of chain reaction in the life of a believer. And it's these three, three, the three links in the chains. These are the three progressions of grace you'll find. Number one, patient endurance. Number two, proven character. Number three, insider hope. Patient endurance, proven character, insider hope. Second part of verse three, and this will go faster and faster as we go. Not only that, but we can also rejoice in our suffering. Here's the part of the reason why. Be- knowing that suffering produces endurance. Man, if there's one word, Jared, right? If there's one word the follower of Jesus needs to know, you know, outside of grace, outside of agape, it's perseverance. I think every D group I've ever led, I've pounded that word in. Perseverance perseverance endurance perseverance because perseverance it's a word that really means single-mindedness single-mindedness suffering what it can do is it can cause us to refocus to realign to help us remember the things that are really going to last and it removes other distractions now notice that this 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 endurance that shows up that's not the normal response Right? When suffering happens, endurance isn't the normal re- response. It's not the typically worldly reaction to tribulation. Endurance is your trust in the ability of your heavenly Father, even when most everybody else is dropping out of the race. That's perseverance. I love what, what Spurgeon said about perseverance. He said, by perseverance, the snail made it onto the ark. I thought that was good, man. This is the hallmark of of your genuine interest in Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. This is the hallmark of your genuine interest in Jesus Christ when everything else is ripped away because it's easy to follow Jesus and endure when things are good. It's easy to follow Jesus and endure when bad things are happening to other people. But this benefit of endurance, you know, I like to think of it as like the spiritual energizer bunny. There's our, there's our friend this morning. Um, We've got, you know, we've got Peter Rabbit, we've got Bugs Bunny, and then you've got this guy showing up in the middle of a commercial, right? And he comes in, and he's, his arms are flying, and he's beating that drum, and, and they're promoting batteries that, you know, are, are going to keep going and going and going and going. What the company Energizer doesn't realize is actually that's also a picture of the life of the follower of Jesus, Paul puts it this way in Hebrews 12. He says, there's a lot of people looking in at this race. Uh, jump over the things that trip you up. And then he says this, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The key in any athletic competition, any athletic event you see or been part of, it's to not give up until the end. Not give up until the completion of the game. Because anybody can be great for a quarter or two. Like the Dallas Cowboys, right? 
the Lord's teaching me about hope beyond hope right now, Cody. Um, if you are here a couple weeks ago. But anybody can be great. You know, for a couple quarters, the question really is, is did you persevere? Did you last? Because perseverance, this, the Christian walk, it's a lot like your marriage. If you're married, the first day is not the most important day. It's the last day. And the question is, did you finish well? Did you finish well? And you may be like, that's great, man, but how long we got to run for? <laughs> you know, how long I got to keep beating this drum? Because this this, it gets tiring, you know. Where's the finish line? And that, that, that depends because all of our races, all of them are different. All of our races are different. And so you run the race that's been set in front of you. You run your race, and there's going to be lots of stuff in your race that will not be okay, but you can still be okay if you'll run, r- learn to run your race with the endurance that God brings to you. For this Christian, this means you keep going and going and going until you see the Lord Jesus, and he looks at you and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's endurance. That's perseverance. Did you finish well? And the Apostle Paul says that if this life for you, man, if it's like, if it's like one of those whirly bird seeds that just keeps seeming to, to spiral down to the ground, what can grow you in the spin, if you allow it, is endurance. In suffering trials, they refine. Verse 4, we glory in our sufferings. Know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Spirit-filled, patient endurance. It produces proven character in us. This is a word that means uh, a testedness. It's a, I've been here before. This isn't the language of the raw recruit. This is the language of the vet who's been there, done this. And so what happens is that you're more prepared for what's ahead. It's the word uh, dakame. And dakame was a, a, a Greek secular word that was used in the testing of metals. And it was used to determine if it was pure or not. And so the, the, the idea of it is that if you were to put the metals through, the, through the, the fiery test, if it came out on the other side, it was persevering, it was enduring, all the dross was burnt away, then you would say that that metal is proven. You say, yeah, this is authentic. This is genuine. Church, whenever you go through testing, whenever you go through suffering, and your faith is tested, if you'll endure, what you'll receive is this wonderful authenticity that you do follow and love Jesus Christ. That it's a testedness, that your faith is real, because it's been tested and it stood the test. Because look, nobody cares how you respond when everything's okay. Can I say that? I said it. Nobody cares... How you respond when everything's good. But the unbelieving world is looking at you when you get punched in the mouth, when you're broken and down, and they're seeing how you respond then. Is God still good then? And this is why sometimes the worst times can produce the best people. Suffering, it shifts our focus from what we have onto who we'll become. Suffering, it shifts our focus from what we have onto who God's trying to make us become in our sanctification process. Because there are different degrees and types and losses of different, different areas of suffering. And when life is great, 
and you know everything's good we got a lot of stuff and so what we do we you know we try to guard it we try to protect it we try to enjoy it we try to multiply it but but whenever we suffer we lose some stuff we lose some time we lose some money we we lose some freedom we lose some health we lose some of our possessions and status and so on and the silver lining in this storm of suffering is that you and I focus on the one thing that can't be ripped from us and that is our godly character because we've been here before character is built when you have no alternative to the suffering and look I'm super guilty of this I'm super guilty of this but you want to you want to do something for your kids man you want to invest something in your kids invest in their character invest in their character God knew that they would be born at a particular time Right, Russ? In a particular place. It was no surprise to him. He knew they would grow up in this world. And so we all can invest. If we're going to invest in something in our kids, we got to invest in, in, in their character. And, and one way you can do this, and it's going to sound counterintuitive, is to let them struggle. Let them suffer just a little bit. Let them struggle just a little And I'm super guilty of this. I try to I, I take after my grandma. I try to fix everything and do everything for everyone in our family and I enjoy it's a great joy in my life but what happens is that if you're like me in that what we do is we think we're, we're protecting them but but actually what we're doing is we're preventing them from learning how to bring their suffering to Jesus what we're doing sometimes in in our protecting of them removing if we remove every struggle every time what we're doing is we're removing an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come and minister to them um, so that they watch us through our faith and our suffering come to God and we can walk with them in their faith and bring their suffering to God so that they can learn how to grieve and that they can also learn how to rejoice or glory in the suffering that comes and we are reminding them that I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to be here for you all. You're not going to be there for him all the time. But God will be. And show them how he will walk alongside of them through it. We desperate. You go, man, what's Rest Church want out of your kids, man? We want, we want, we need more torchbearers of the gospel message. We, 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 we need more people desperately Children that can take the message further, that can communicate it clearer and better to a generation that they know. We need that. And it can be done with endurance and, and character. And so ask yourself, church, on this, am I growing, am I learning, am I evangelizing in patient endurance? Do I have a track record of proven character, of I've been there before? Because look, you might be, you might be 53 physically but you might be 10 spiritually and there's a problem with that how's your character how's your kid's character in suffering trials refined character is divine and then verse 4 the in part we glory in our sufferings knowing suffering produces endurance endurance produces character then the last link of the chain in the benefits package and character produces hope I said this a couple ways but suffering has this really unique ability of burning away all of our faith trinkets except for God and this desperation, it, it pushes us to him. Because sometimes we just don't know where else to go. And whenever we hope in anything except him, sooner or later we realize that it was hoping in vain. And look, you may not be able to determine what happens to you, but you can determine who you'll become when those things happen. You can determine who you hope in. 
Do you understand what this means? What this means is that the mark of a, a, a Christian who's growing in spiritual maturity through rejoicing and suffering, through pr- a, a produced endurance and a proven character, that they've landed in this place of hope and they can rejoice in when anything and everything happens to them without exception because the Lord is the Lord of their life and they're rejoicing in their relationship with Jesus. Because of their justification, it's all complete. And while we not, might not always understand the purposes behind the pain that comes, saints can still hope in the purposes of God and have a confidence in his character. John 15, you know this verse. It's, Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the vine, my father, he's the vine dresser. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, listen to this, you're a, a Christian that bears fruit. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. In our suffering, the Father may prune us so that we bear more fruit. But I want you to know that not a single cut from his pruning knife is purposeless. Not a single cut. And in the process, he always remains the same. Corey Asbury, he has this song out right now. Maybe you've heard it. I'll show it to you in a second. But um, it's not really a corporate worship song, Cody. It's a... It's more of like an individual thing, but I thought it was just so good talking about the, just the first few lines of it, about rejoicing and suffering. So let's show that. It's not light afflictions, rather. It is momentary. It's not light affliction. At least it doesn't feel like that. In the, in the death of a child, in the death of a spouse, in the death of a parent or a brother or a sister, you know, death has this, this way um, that really punches us in the mouth. But whatever, whatever it is, though, if I, if I relapse in my sin and I lash out at God in anger and all of my crookedness, God's response to you and to me is that he is kind. Man, what a good God. And that's a cause for hope. Verse 5 says, in hope, this sort of hope, it doesn't put you to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is a hope that we've talked about for several, several weeks now. This isn't a, a, just a hope for something to good to happen in the future. This is a certainty that it will yield fruit because God has deemed it so. This is an eschatological hope that supersedes and transcends every circumstances. Church, what other benefit package out there it could heal all of your diseases, let alone for free? This is, this is the hope to forgive our past, to bring meaning to our present suffering, and, and not to mention, Ted, it's a retirement package that's literally out of the world. This is the rest is yet to come. This is, this is deliverance from hell. This is deliverance from the pit. This is the blind will see. This is the deaf will hear and the broken will leap again. This is a new body. It's a new heaven. It's a new earth. Sin is gone. Death is defeated. And God is still God. Ruling and reigning forever in earth in his glory. <laughs> I have to share this first. Apostle Paul, he says later to says later to the Corinthians, listen to this. I wonder if he was thinking back to Romans 5. He says, so because of this hope, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this 
the massive pressure, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look to the things, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, they're transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. This hope, I'm telling you, it, will not, it doesn't put us to shame. It will never leave you feeling shortchanged. It will never betray you. No one who has ever run to God in the middle of a dark day has ever walked out ashamed for going to Him. No one who invests their hardships in, in, in the bank of character fails to see a good return on that investment. And this hope, Wrapping up, it says it doesn't bring us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. This is the first mention of God the Holy Spirit since Romans chapter 1. And Romans chapter 8 is going to go on to mention him some, some 20 times. But Paul, he will tell the Colossians this later on this same hope. Colossians 1.27 To us Gentiles, God has made known the riches of his glory, of this mystery. And here's the mystery of hope, that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory, that he is the hope. He is the gift to every believer. He is the benefit of our justification. God the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to rejoice in our suffering. He's the one who empowers us in our faith to remain faithful in times of test. He is the one that builds our character. And what happens, what's so great about this verse is that at the initial outpouring, at your conversion moment, when the Holy Spirit comes to make camp inside of you, he initially pours out God's love, but it's a continual and steady overflowing love that keeps coming to remind you over and over and over again God has not walked away God loves you this isn't about your love for God this is about God's love for you and and because of this it's an insider hope a hope that gives a foundation and stability and assurance Romans 3 or 5 3 through 5 these are basic discipleship principles that every, every new believer should know. Romans 5, 3 through 5, these are basic discipleship principles that every seasoned saint should know. That, that our suffering, it can be a great seminary. Because God's priority in your life, it's not to remove all the suffering. God's priority in your life is to make you more like Jesus. And so Christ. In your suffering, what can happen if you allow it is that it can start this chain reaction that lands on hope in the glory of God so that these benefits of justification, they're not diminished by our suffering, but they're actually, they're actually enlarged by it, that you can rejoice in, in relief before the relief comes. You can find a purpose in your pain to endure, to be energized and prove to the world who your God is through your suffering. Because in justification, whenever I'm right with God, no matter what's wrong in this world, nothing can ever rob me of this eternal hope that is set inside of me who is the Holy Spirit. In our sufferings, trials refine, your character is defined, and hope is aligned.